Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. We've been on the subject of us as tourists, spirits that travel through the universe sampling different experiences in different realities. Now, before I get to uh, today's session, as an aside, I want to mention uh, two songs, two recordings, that if you listen to them, it makes it easier to just imagine yourself kind of gliding or flying through the universe. And one of those is from an album um, by Bernward Koch, I guess, K-O-C-H, uh, and uh, number 13 song on his album, Walking Through Clouds, is called, I think, The Greatest Song. <laughs> and it just um, makes it very easy to imagine yourself uh, gliding along. The other song, years ago, uh, with the early 80s actually, a fellow named Ricky King on the guitar, uh, he had the song Verde, V-E-R-D-E, Verde which you can look up online. Um, either of those two songs that help you just kind of imagine yourself uh, gliding peacefully uh, through, through a universe. So anyway, um, just uh, thought I'd throw that in. Now I want to get to uh, today's material. And as you know, the experiences of uh, Bob Monroe and Edgar Cayce uh, tend to support the notion of us as tourists. Uh, also, the many explanations that Seth provided about various things uh, help out here. And today I'm going to talk about uh, Seth as he spoke about earlier civilizations and the connection between realities and perhaps some other subjects if we have time. Now, as far as earlier civilizations go, Seth indicated there have been other great scientific civilizations on Earth that have vanished. Some went beyond our point of physical development, and others destroyed their civilization. Some left our planet for other points in the physical universe, but they were by that time spiritually and psychically mature, and could use energies that we are not even aware of. Now, Earth, to them, is the legendary home. They formed new races that couldn't exist in our atmosphere. Some mutated. They've long since left the reincarnational cycles. They discarded material form, and they evolved into the mental, spiritual entities they always were. They take a great interest in Earth, and Seth suggested they might be thought of as Earth gods concerned with our well-being. They were involved in three civilizations before Atlantis. Now, in some of them, sound was used for healing and in wars, and to move weight and mass. And for those of you who don't know, both the United States and its enemies have developed uh, sound weapons. Certain types of sounds, especially those with long, slow waves, can go through you, and some can kill you pretty quickly. Sound was... Also, one of the methods used by earlier civilizations to create those huge stone structures that we see now, and science really can't explain how they were developed. 
sound was used in healing and in wars, and also to move weight and mass, a la something like the pyramids. The poles were reversed in some of them. The climate and land areas were different. Now, one of them, which he termed Lumania, experimented with a built-in safeguard against aggression and violence. Now, this caused complications because energy must be allowed to flow freely and cannot be bottled up that way. Free will cannot be dispensed with. They were a thin and weakly people, either psychically brilliant or completely ungifted. They formed energy fields around their civilization. But overall, their attempt to automatically block aggression was a failure. It's an interesting failure in that this civilization, intellectually superior to us and advanced to the point where they could pitch thoughts great distances and use sound to move physical matter, could not by thought alone control or even influence the thinking of Earth's other inhabitants. Hmm, sound familiar to today? The Lumanians left their underground cities and they joined groups of relatively uncivilized people on the Earth at that time, mating with them. They died quickly because they couldn't react to violence. Their god was a strong male to protect them which evolved into Jehovah. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, they lived in underground cities, and caves were the doorways to these cities. In the Stone Age, cavemen found shelter in the Lumanians' mechanically created caves, and in some of the cities in which the Lumanians had lived. The tools the cavemen created were crude versions of what they found in these cities. Now, Lumanians had abilities we know nothing of, including the ability to pitch a thought along certain frequencies and then translate it at any given distance into a form, color, or image, as they pleased. A line was not just visual, it represented certain sounds. The entire history of an animal, for example, could be given in the picture of that animal. The, tun the uh, tunnels they created were also formed using sound. Their sounds also produced brilliant images. They often closed their eyes and conveyed inner images in order to communicate, somewhat similar to the way that animal communicators today communicate with animals by way of images. Now, Seth says the Lumanians are part of our psychic heritage and that bleed-throughs occur in our psychic atmosphere between us and them, not just by chance. Now let's turn to another subject, dream communications, and the connections between realities. It's while we're dreaming that Seth says we come closest to experiencing what after-death reality will be like. He contends the dream state is real, not imaginary, and that when we dream we are flying, very often we are. There's no lag time between an idea and its construction in the dream reality. In sleep, we apparently remember everyone we ever met in our dreams, though we might not remember them when we awake, awaken. <laughs> Some close associates of ours through the years in the dream state 
would be strangers to us in our waking life. That's interesting, isn't it? Close associates in the dream state, but they'd be strangers to us in our waking life. In dreams, we learn how to create our daily experience in the physical world. A dream exists in more than one reality. The living and the dead, in our terms, may both participate. That is why inspirations and revelations result so often shortly after we experience the dream condition. Uh, you might remember that uh, Betty White's Invisibles uh, discussed this. In our sleep, we often try out different probabilities and choose which ones we want to materialize in our daily waking life. Now, there are several stages of sleep, and in the deeply protected area, we are at the threshold of other layers of reality and probabilities. Our experiences will be out of context to time. We might experience years, even though only minutes might have passed. Now here we're dealing with pure feeling and pure knowing, disconnected from words or images. We then return toward the physical in the period scientists call the REM, rapid eye movement period. It's here that physically oriented dream productions are created. So what we remember generally are the... Uh, the symbols we create here in that stage. The cycle might then be repeated. So there are cycles, but we're not aware of them. Now it's interesting, before falling asleep, we can suggest to ourselves that problems will be solved for us in the dream state. We can also direct the healing of our body or suggest dreams that will help us reach our goals or that might bring about reconciliations. I try, uh, I strongly recommend that, that you try this, uh, as I did, right? As just one example, some years back, I suggested that I experience something that would give me a lot of exercise, since I wasn't active enough in my daily life. Well, I got more than I bargained for, <laughs> as I stood on the bow of a ship, trying to maintain my balance and not fall overboard in the midst of a violent ocean storm. Now, the, the production of dreams is every bit as sophisticated as the production of the daily physical lives that we're living, that we're aware of. And there are many, many more communications between our waking and sleeping selves than we're aware of. So again, I, try, I suggest you try uh, experimenting with suggesting, before you go to sleep, suggesting what kind of dreams you'd want to have and what you want to achieve. Now, the symbols in our dreams, as all symbols do, stand for inner realities. When we juggle these symbols, we are juggling interior realities. The objects and symbols in the dream universe are as faithful representations of dream life as physical objects are of waking life. Now, in dream consciousness, though, a dog might turn into a rose. They are expressions of feelings and experiences that are not limited to the rigid framework of objects stuck into the consecutive moments that we have in our waking life. They are instead transformed and expressed in a new, mobile, immediate manner. So changing dream symbols can represent changing feelings. The more precise a symbol is, the less meaning it can contain. That's interesting. The more precise a symbol is, the less meaning it can contain. Now, each of us has our own personal bank of symbols to draw on. And 
Sound itself is a symbol. Wow, sound itself is a symbol. Seth explains that we understand that sound grows louder from a given point of silence, but we do not understand that from a given point we do not perceive, sounds also begin that grow deeper into silence, but still have meaning and variety as symbols. Now, the thought unspoken, he tells us, has a sound we do not hear. The thought unspoken as a sound we do not hear. But it is audible at another level of reality and perception. This will surprise you. Trees, as they stand, apparently are a sound that we do, <coughs> do not perceive. Excuse me. So there is a clear connection, then, between dream and waking realities and ongoing communication between them. But that's not the limit of communication among realities. We've already seen there is communication among our past, present, and future selves, and with our many probable selves, and that our slightest thought can give birth to a flower in another reality. I like that. <laughs> our slightest thought can give birth to a flower in another reality. So have a lot of beautiful thoughts, and you'll be giving birth to a lot of flowers somewhere. Now, others are aware at some level of what we are thinking and feeling. That's strange, but that's it. Others are aware at some level of what we're thinking and feeling. Each of us can create a thought form that appears in the room of a friend or in a reality we aren't even aware of. Now, the major coordinate points, uh, as was talked about in previous sessions, which uh, Seth explained, they are especially powerful passageways for energy and communication among all realities. Right? So the closer you are to a major coordinate point, uh, those are especially powerful passageways, but there are kind of secondary uh, strong coordinate points too. Uh, in any room, there will be some coordinate points that are stronger than others. Now, ancient Rome, Atlantis, and ancient Egypt exist right now. Actions we take now can help a past personality, just as a future personality of ours might step in and help us along the way with maybe impulses, solutions, positive emotions, and inspirations. Now, our actions can also help them, uh, as my writing of the 2075 movement might help what I called future Dan, for whom it was written. The vital consciousness of any personality can be theoretically contacted by personalities from any time, any place, or any probable system, right? The vital consciousness of any personality theoretically can be contacted by personalities from any time, place, or probable system. Seth says, messages are flashed through the centuries from one great man or woman to another, so that Leonardo da Vinci, for example, knew of Picasso. He also said that many of lowly stature also share in such communication, so that there is an unending conversation going out throughout the universe, and a most meaningful one. As noted previously in previous discussions, 
and by uh, some of the other entities I've cited um, in previous episodes, these uh, are often manifested as inspiration. Right? The conversations going on throughout the universe, are they manifest themselves as inspiration in many different fields, whether it's science or music or philosophy or energy or something else. Now, there are also deep connections between each of us and those personalities with whom we have had significant relationships or who have been involved in deep decisions that we've made. Now, Seth described what he called (laughs) profound psychological interconnections, profound psychological interconnections that bind us each to each in a telepathic framework. Now, we've also seen we're all in the center of a vast cosmic web of probabilities that I've discussed in the past, right? We're all in the center of, of a vast cosmic web of probabilities that's affected by our slightest mental or emotional act. And when we are, and also when we're the receiver of signals coming from others. So our slightest mental or emotional act, or if we're receiving strong signals from others, this affects the probability that we experience. It's in the dream state that we glimpse some of the probable directions we might have taken. So it's helpful to keep in mind that no system of reality is closed. The thoughts and emotions of inhabitants in one reality affect and are affected by many other realities. And there's no reason to assume that that's limited just to reincarnational realities. All right, I'll stop there for today. And once again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.